A large portion of the Jewish nation has returned to its homeland, but the heart, soul, and mind of much of the Jewish nation are still in exile mode. This state of affairs must and will inevitably change. This is Torah Nation TV, and we are listening to a full-length audio shiur by Machon Chilo's Rabbi David Bar Chaim on the topic of Why do we light candles on Hanukkah? Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to you all. And Hanukkah Sameach. You should all have a sheet, or two sheets, four sides. This is an article that I wrote quite a few years ago, both in Hebrew and in English. I'll be quoting from the Hebrew page, not from the English page, all right? But the, yeah, the articles are essentially uh, identical. Hanukkah zo al shuma, which means, why, why do we celebrate Hanukkah? Why do we have a hug called Hanukkah? A couple of hours ago, before I came here, I heard a discussion on the radio. And one of the participants was a uh, leftist, a hardcore <coughs> secular leftist. And he was saying that Hanukkah, the way that some Jews understand it, that is to say as a nationalistic uh, celebration of nationalism and uh, Jewish military prowess and, and what have you, this is all invention of the Zionist movement uh, a little over a hundred years ago because the Zionist movement required um, heroes, they needed heroes to uh, discuss and to write about and uh, they didn't have enough so they invented the Maccabim basically and turned, the, turn, and turned this thing into a uh, celebration of, of uh, violent Jewish uh, militarism, racism, etc. So, so this person claimed. This uh, poor, unfortunate, misguided soul is wrong, definitely quite incorrect in everything he said, but he's not entirely incorrect because it's true that for a very long time, for, in fact, for most of the last 2,000 years, Hanukkah has been misunderstood or has been misrepresented and perhaps also partly deliberately so by uh, many of the Chachamim also in order to create a different kind of Hanukkah from the real Hanukkah. There are two kinds of Hanukkah. That's, that's the essence of what I'm discussing here today. There are two kinds of Hanukkah. There's the Hanukkah which this leftist individual on the radio that I refer to was speaking of, that is to say, a Hanukkah, which is all about Nespach Hashemin. There was a quantity of oil, let's say this much, and it was supposed to last for one day, and lo and behold, it lasted for eight days. Well, that's a tremendous miracle, obviously, and it certainly is. Uh, if, if you can make oil last eight times longer than it's supposed to, then you'll be a very rich person, and everyone will be very impressed. That's a big miracle. And that's what it was all about, according to this individual who was speaking on the radio two hours ago. And uh, that's what all the Jews thought it was about, at least, until the Zionists came along and turned it into something else and, and made it into some, uh, something to do with the revolt and something to do with, uh, with, the, with the fighting uh, for, for Eretz Israel and, uh, and opposing the uh, foreign conqueror and oppressor, etc. The picture that he portrays is not a picture that he made up today when he was speaking on the radio. This is how most people, most Jews today in the world who light Hanukkah candles, that is how they understand 
Chanukah. And you don't have to believe me. You don't have to take my word for it. You can look at almost any book you choose on the subject, any, shall we say, take the Sfat Emet, the famous book of Drashot and, and ideas by the Rebbe Migur over 100 years ago. Or take the, the writings of Ratzolek HaKohemi Lublin, or any similar kind of work. Whenever they discuss Hanukkah, there's only one issue that they deal with. Nes Pach Hashem. There was oil, it lasted longer than expected. That's the big miracle, that's why we do everything that we do. I also remember, in the same vein, uh, many years ago, when I was, I remember I was still uh, a Bahur before I got married, I was at the home of some relatives uh, on Shabbat, and it was this time of year, I guess, around Hanukkah time, and uh, they had a boy who was uh, studying in the Haredi Yeshiva, and he said to me uh, that we, we, he gave a Dvar Torah, and he said, we see from Hanukkah that, that what you uh, religious Zionists do, say Hallel on Yom, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is entirely incorrect. And I said, really, how did you understand this? How did you re reach this conclusion? He said, because we see that Hallel is said because of Nespach Hashem, and there has to be a supernatural miracle uh, in, order, in order for Hallel to be justified. And there was no such supernatural miracle on Yom Ha'atzma'ut or at that time, and therefore, what you're saying, Halal is entirely not, not, in, not in place. Again, this is the understanding of many people, that everything that we do on Halal, not just lighting the candles, saying Halal and saying Aranisim, it's all about Nesbah Hashem. However, if we begin to examine the facts, we see that it's really not so. We see that in Aranisim, if you go through the Nusach of Aranisim word for word, and any Siddur you choose, any Nusach you like, Nespach Hashem is not mentioned, not even by, uh, by, by way of a hint. It talks about the Nisim, the Gevuroth, the Teshuoth, and the Milhamoth. That I understand. It's talking about the fact that Hashem helped us fight and succeed against their enemies and gave us a great and unexpected victory. It doesn't say anything about Nespach Hashem. And if you say, well, it does say Aranisim, and the word Nes refers to the oil, I will tell you that's entirely incorrect. One simple proof that it's incorrect is the Gemara in, in the Talmud Bavlim, Masechet Arachin Daf Yod. There it discusses the days when we say Halel throughout the year. And it asks the question, the Talmud asks the question, why do we not say Halel on Purim? Because there was an S after all, so, so says the Talmud. And the answer given is, uh, because it was a nest that took place in Chutzlar. It didn't take place in Eretz Yisrael, so it, it's, uh, it's, it's not something of, of truly national and everlasting significance. It was just something that saved, us, saved our skin at the time. But then, of course, you have to ask yourself, what do you mean there was a nest? What nest is the Gemara referring to? The Gemara says there was, there was a nest on Purim, and therefore we should be saying hello, and then the answer given is given. But what's the nest? What, what supernatural event took place in Purim? The entire Megillah teaches us that not one single thing supernatural took place. Hashem Hashem is not mentioned once in the Megillah because nothing supernatural happened. It's all a series of events and, and juxtaposed incidents and coincidences and, uh, and uh, strokes of luck, if you like, that uh, one thing led to another. The, the king had a dream and this happened and so-and-so said this and someone remembered and they wrote it down. All the rest of you know the story. And we all know how it ended. But there's no miracle, there's no supernatural miracle. For this we understand that the word nes in Hebrew does not mean 
what the word miracle means in English. The word miracle in English means something supernatural, beyond the bounds of nature. But the word nes in Hebrew means something outstanding, something unusual, something beyond the, the ordinary uh, way of things in this world. But that's not to say it's necessarily supernatural. It's not the normal way of things that so many events fall into place in a certain manner, resulting in, such, in a certain result. That's something unusual, that's something uh, outstanding, which we take note of. And that is the original meaning of the word nes. The word nes refers to a banner, something which is held up high, like a flag which is seen from afar, because it stands out. But it doesn't have to be supernatural. So the general perception that Hanukkah has to do with a certain amount of oil lasting longer than, than, than uh, was expected is a, was a very widespread perception. And it was not by accident either, I believe. I believe that it was very likely a deliberate attempt on the part of the Chachamim, or many of the Chachamim, to downplay the true nature of Hanukkah in the wake of the uh, disasters and the tragedies that befell the Jewish people as a result of the failure of the different revolts against the Romans 2,000 years ago. We had the great revolt leading to the Churban of the Bet Migdash, and we had the Bar Kochva revolt, etc., etc. The... the end result of these uh, revolts was such, was so, so the, the results were so uh, disastrous that the Chachamim felt that it was necessary now to put aside all discussion of revolt and armed resistance, etc. And now we just have to talk about other things. Not, not about that, because that's just going to get us in more, into more trouble. And you have to understand this is not a baseless concern on the part of the Chachamim. We know from historical sources that in, um, in the Bar Kochva revolt, for example, according to Roman historians, and if you claim that they were exaggerating a little bit, you still get the picture. One uh, Roman historian writes of 580,000 Jews being killed in the revolt, and apparently at least another, uh, that number again, at least being sold into slavery. Uh, it talks about 985 or something like that, uh, villages and towns being destroyed. In other words, the Jewish presence in Eretz Yisrael was, uh, was almost brought to an end as a result of that revolt. And there was reason, it was not entirely irrational for many Chachamim to reach the conclusion that we have to now downplay all these things, remove it from the general discussion in the Bet Midrash and the, and the Bet Knesset, and talk about something else. And so the, the idea of Nespach Hashem being the, the reason for Hanukkah was, was placed center stage. And this is all we find in the Talmud Bavli. This is the only thing that we find mentioned. And to be honest, in the Talmud Yerushalmi, we find even less. So, uh, in, in general, Hanukkah was played down. But that's not to say that we can't understand what really happened. And if we look, at, for example, at the Rambam, which is the first source quoted in the source sheet before you in the Hebrew, the Rambam writes as follows. <clears throat> So first quote, the first paragraph, the time of the Greco-Syrian Empire, the time of the Second Temple, they initiated a policy of religious persecution against the Jews. And they allowed themselves to steal the, the Jews' property and their daughters, and they entered the Mikdash, and they uh, destroyed and defiled the Mikdash with Timur Taharoth, 
The Jewish people suffered greatly at their hands. And they were under great pressure. And to, to make, a, to make a, a long story short, as the Raman does here, the Raman gives you here an entire historical lecture in two lines, exactly. In other words, the situation was very dire. Until Hashem had mercy on them and helped them. And, and save them. How did he save them? By raising up There was an uprising led by the Hashmonaim, which succeeded and the Jews were victorious. And this led, says the Rambam, to an independent Jewish political entity in Eretz Yisrael for the first time in about, in about um, 400 years. And this resulted in uh, a return of Jewish sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael for 200 years until the Hurban. That last detail, by the way, is not precise. The Rambam takes this figure of 200 years from a, a work called Megillat Antiochus, which is not a very historical work. And there it, it mentions that number of 200. But in fact, it was about 100 years, because after 100 years, the Romans... Uh, decided it was time for them to enter Eretz and take it over. So really we're talking about 100 years. But nevertheless, for 100 years, the Jews were an independent nation in their own land for the first time in centuries as a result of this revolt. So the Rambam doesn't just talk about Nespach Hashem. The Rambam talks about uh, a huge uh, turnaround in the affairs of the Jewish people. And then he goes on to say, And then having been successful against their enemies, they entered the Mikdash on the 25th of Kislev. They don't find uh, oil that was pure. It should only have lasted one day. And, and it lasted eight days. <coughs> until they were able to prepare more oil. Now, some people read this because of the last thing we just mentioned, but that's incorrect. The Ramah just told you, gave you two halachot with all that information. Mipneze refers to everything he just wrote because of all the things, the events that we just mentioned. For that reason, the Chachamim at that time instituted these days will be days of celebration and saying halil. This is the only time during the year, except for Sukkot, by the way, where we say Hallel for eight days, and we'll talk about this more in a moment. And on top of that, there's an extra takana. The reason we say Hallel is, by the way, not because of the Shemen. That has to do with the victory in battle and the uh, Yeshua that Hashem gave us at that time. That is the reason for the Hallel. There is no such concept in Judaism that if uh, a quantity of oil burns longer than expected that you say Hallel. There's no such thing in, in the Torah. As we'll see in a moment as the Maral says as well. And that perhaps, and that's only perhaps, is in, is Hashem and is due to that uh, other incident with the oil. That's what the Rambam has to say about Hanukkah. If you compare the Rambam's uh, treatment of the subject, the Rambam's description of what happened and why we have Hanukkah. And now you read the next paragraph, which is a quote from the Tur, Rabbeinu Yaakov, Balaturin, the son of the Rosh. 
He writes in Siman Tauresh Ayin as follows. My Hanukkah, he's quoting here from the Gemara Masechet Shabbat Daf Kaf Aleph. We have eight days of Hanukkah starting on the 25th of Kislev. And then it goes on to say, They, the Goyim, uh, defiled all the oil in the Mikdash. They found only, when they entered the Mikdash, the Jews found only one container of oil. It should only have lasted one day. It lasted for eight days. There was a miracle. And therefore they made a takana to celebrate this for eight days. So we have Halel and Ananisim. And if you read what the Torah just wrote, seeing that the Torah mentions nothing but the Nes Pachashem, and he mentions nothing. Really, he, he glosses over the fact that we were talking. We're talking about a revolt that took a number of years of guerrilla warfare, etc., in order to before it was successful. He doesn't talk about that. He just says he doesn't talk about the situation of the Jews and how the the non-Jewish authorities, the Greco-Syrian authorities, were uh, stealing people's daughters and and their property, etc. He doesn't discuss any of that. He just says there was some. Uh, um, there was some conflict with these non-Jews. The Jews were successful. They entered the Mikdash. They found some oil. And that seems to be the whole story. That is exactly is the whole story, the way most Jews have been taught. And that is what this leftist on the radio was referring to. So he didn't take it from no place. He, he, he didn't learn the tour, I imagine. But he, he, he picked this up somewhere along the line. That This is what Hanukkah is all about. And I'm sure most of you will confirm what I recall as a child that um, that's what we were taught. We were taught that there were these guys called the Maccabim, and they, we, we heard something about them being soldiers and fighting or something, but the main thing was that they, there was some oil, and it lasted for eight days, and that was, that was the whole story of Hanukkah. The difference between these two descriptions is immense. Rambam describes an historical event that was the result of the Jewish people rising up and taking uh, their destiny into their own hands and being helped by Hashem and therefore being successful against all odds. And the crowning achievement and the cherry on the cake, as it were, of this historical uh, episode is the fact that they returned to the Mikdash, which had been, Jerusalem in general, had been Yudenrein for, for over three years. There had been no Jews allowed in, in Yerushalayim or the Mikdash for a number of years. The Mikdash had been defiled by uh, sacrifices to Avodazara, etc. The, 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 the Jews had to uh, take down the old Mizbah, the altar, and rebuild a new one. And they had to uh, create new vessels, etc. Everything had been uh, defiled by Avodazara. You can't use that now for worshipping Hashem. And therefore, by the way, and this is what we see later in a moment, we'll see that the first thing they were able to do was to uh, light, the, light the candles in the Mikdash. Why? Because that's the simplest thing to do. And this is mentioned... If you look at the, <clears throat> if you look at the very bottom of the first page, last paragraph, this is a quote from Gilath Ta'anith and from Psikata Rabati. Why do we light candles on Hanukkah? And you have to understand the question. The, the Marasha also explains this question. The same question is asked, or a similar question is asked in the Sechet Shabbat. My Hanukkah, what's Hanukkah all about? So you can understand it in that sense. What's Hanukkah all about? Or you can understand it as the Maharsha explains it, 
And he, he explains the question is not what is Hanukkah in general about, because it's about much more than some oil, as we just explained. The Marasha explains the question is, my Hanukkah, why do we like candles on Hanukkah? What's special about Hanukkah that we like candles? For example, we, there was a great event at the time of Purim that we mentioned. There was mentioned we mentioned the Gemara in Arachin that discusses Purim and why we don't say Halil. But why don't we like candles on Purim, for example, to celebrate the great event of Purim or any other day of the year? We don't. We do like candles on Hanukkah. That's the question. Why, is, why are candles associated with Hanukkah? The answer is given here in this statement. It says, Because the Greco-Syrians entered the Mikdash and defiled it, etc., etc. And they, when we say defiled, as we said, we mean they used it for their own avodah zarah. On top of that, uh, when they saw that the Jews were likely to overrun them, they took all the uh, precious vessels made of gold and silver and copper and everything was taken away. There was nothing left. So when the Jews got to the Mikdash, the place was either full of things that were defiled or there was nothing there anyhow. So they couldn't do very much immediately. It took them a while to uh, rededicate the Mikdash and prepare for, the, for that re- rededication. But what could they do? It says, There was nothing to light with. Why? The menorah had been taken. The menorah made of pure gold had been stolen. So what were they to do? They brought seven pieces of iron, and they covered it with something more, look uh, that looks a bit better than, than plain pig iron. In other words, they built a very simple menorah made of iron, not of gold. By the way, this is the basis for the halakha, which is brought in the Rambam, brought in the Talmud. And the Rambam quotes it, that when there is no gold available for making the menorah and the mikdash, you make the menorah for whatever materials you happen to have, wood, metal, whatever it is. This is what the Hashwanaim did. They were able, and this they could do immediately because that requires very little preparation, to take a few pieces of iron, weld them together, create a menorah with seven branches, put some oil on the top and light it. That's not complicated. And, uh, and that's what they did. Whereas to reinstitute the sacrificial service that you can't do overnight because you have to take apart the old Mizbeah, which is several meters tall and, and many meters wide, and take it all and remove all the stones and bring more stones and build a whole new Mizbeah. That takes a few days. The first thing they could do in the Mikdash was to light the menorah. And therefore, the lighting of the menorah became symbolic of the entire event, of this, of this turnaround in Jewish affairs. And that is what the Gemara asks, and that according to what the Maharsha explains, the Gemara asks, my Hanukkah, what is it all about? What, in other words, why do we light candles on Hanukkah? What's special about Hanukkah that requires the lighting of candles? The answer is, as we just saw here, that because lighting candles was the first event that took place in the Mikdash when the Jews were able to re-enter the Mikdash. Everything else took a while. That was immediate. So the, the lighting of candles became the symbol of Hanukkah. And that's also what you find at the beginning of the, of the next page in the Hebrew uh, sources. This is another quote from Psikatha Rabbati. It says, At motze, zotha Hanukkah, shano osim, zechila Hanukkah bet hashmonah. We do, we celebrate Hanukkah to celebrate the rededication of the Mikdash at that time. Al she'asu milhama when it's one, because they were successful and victorious over the Greco-Syrians. Wa'anu madlikim, and we now light candles to celebrate that victory. In other words, it's not necessarily because of a nes Hashem. And you will note in all these sources, it doesn't mention anything about a miracle. Perhaps according to those sources, there wasn't a miracle. The the candles symbolize the the victory and the fact that those victorious Jews were able to re-enter the Mikdash 
and immediately begin, reinstate the Avodah and the Mikdash by lighting candles, by lighting the menorah, which is a miswa in itself. It's an Avodah in itself to light the menorah every day. Now, I mentioned before the Maharal. The Maharal, you will find the third paragraph before the end of page one. This is a very important source. We'll read it together. Maharal writes in his book called Nir Miswa, which is a, a book that he wrote on the subject of Hanukkah. Towards the end, on page 22, he writes as follows. Weim Tomar, if you ask, is it possible that simply because a miracle occurred that allowed them, in other words, oil lasted longer than expected, and this allowed them to, um, to light the menorah for, for many days, is, for this reason, was Hanukkah really instituted for this reason? If you ask this question, the Maral says, <laughs> The reason a person has to thank Hashem is because Hashem helped him and saved him, not because uh, some kind of miracle occurred which allows him to perform a miswa, which is anyhow incumbent upon him to do. For that you don't say halal, for that you do not make a, a celebration. Maral goes on to say, Yesh Lomar, the answer to this is as follows, the reason, the main essential reason why Hanukkah was instituted, was because of the victory over our enemies, the Greeks. However, had it been, had there been no supernatural event, people could have thought that this victory was because the Jews were, were uh, well-versed in military affairs and were able to uh, overcome their enemies uh, as, as other pe peoples might have done also militarily. In order to make it clear this was not so, says the Maharal, and therefore this extra uh, event of the, of the shemen, of the oil took place, that it was all with the help of Hashem. In other words, what the Maharal says here is very simple. If it's all about Nespa Hashem, there would be no Hanukkah at all. As I said before, there is no such notion in Judaism that if a person happens to have a quantity of oil which lasts longer than he expected, that immediately the next morning has to get up and make a holiday out of it and say, hello. That's, that's a ridiculous notion. We have the famous Gemara where there was a Chacham, a Rav, who was very poor, and his daughter said to him, Erev Shabbat, we haven't got oil to light the candles for Shabbat. So he said to him, and he said, what do we have in the house? So we have a bit of vinegar. He said to her, put some vinegar in the candle, and light it and see what happens. He who said to oil that it should burn, can also say to vinegar that it should burn. In other words, Hashem can perform miracles. Maybe Hashem will do a miracle for us and that we'll have Shabbat candles. In the same way, of course, Hashem can cause this much oil to last this, this long. But that, that can happen. That's not a chidush. There's nothing uh, surprising and nothing new about that. A person who believes and knows that Hashem created the universe all that we know that exists in the universe, all that we don't know that exists in the universe, from nothing, is not surprised that this much oil can last for this long. That's really not a reason to, to do anything special. The reason is because of Hashem helping the Jewish people overcome their enemies and changing their historical reality. The historical reality of the Jews at that time was very, very difficult and very dire. It's important that we all understand, had 
the Jewish people not revolted against the Greco-Syrians at that time. And at that time, it's important to know that there were many Jews who were uh, Hellenists, who were um, emulating the non-Jews and following their culture and, and living according to their ways. Had the Jews not revolted at this time, it's almost certain that we wouldn't be sitting here to Daniel Shanai, or we wouldn't be sitting here sitting together anywhere at all. There would be no Jews, there'd be no Judaism. This event of Hanukkah saved Judaism. That's the essential, most important thing that we need to know every year when we celebrate Hanukkah. We are celebrating a seminal event in Jewish history which saved Judaism and the Jewish people from oblivion. There would be no Judaism. The Jewish people were on their last legs in Eretz Yisrael, and the Jews outside Eretz Yisrael were even, were even further removed from the Torah. Had the Jewish center in Eretz Yisrael collapsed, the Jewish people would have disappeared. This event saved the Jewish people, and that is what Hanukkah is all about. There is something else that we need to understand, and that is why Hanukkah lasts for eight days. If the celebration of Hanukkah is a celebration of the rededication of the Mikdash, of the temple, then we would expect that it should last for seven days, because that is what we find in, in, in earlier, previous cases. We find this is written, this question is already asked on the second page of your source sheet in the Hebrew, the second paragraph. This is a quote from Gilath Ta'anith. It says, Why do we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days? We see in the Torah that when Moshe constructed the Mishkan, the Hanukkah, the celebration and the dedication of that Mishkan lasted for seven days, not eight days. The same thing we find with regards to Shlomo HaMelech in Sefer Melachim, when he built and then dedicated the first Mikdash. The events to celebrate the building of the Mikdash, the dedication of the Mikdash, lasted for seven days, not for eight days. So why did we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days? And a similar question, by the way, which we don't, I haven't quoted here, is asked by the Beit Yosef and other Mepharshim, why do we celebrate the uh, Hanukkah for eight days and why do we have a menorah that lasts, I'm sorry, that has eight branches and not seven branches? Because if you say that we're lighting the menorah because of the Nes Pachashemen, well, a certain quantity of oil existed, correct? How long should that have lasted for? One day, correct? So one day was not a miracle, that was natural. Well, the miracle is seven days, so we should have a menorah of seven days to celebrate the miracle of seven days. The first day was not a miracle. This question is asked by many, and the answer I'm going to give you now, I, I imagine is something you haven't heard before. We have two answers in ancient sources to this question. The first thing we have here in the Megillah Tanit, it says, Ela They entered the Mikdash after they were successful against the enemies. They rebuilt and, and uh, repainted the Mikdash, the Mizbeach, and they instituted new vessels. They created new vessels that were pure. The process of rebuilding and cleaning up the Mikdash, that took eight days. And therefore, according to this source, the reason for eight days is to uh, commemorate the fact that for eight days they prepared the Mikdash for its rededication. Again, nothing to do with the Nes Pachashem, and you will see all these sources make no, no mention of Nes Pachashem. 
But the fact of the matter is that the real reason for the eight days is apparently something else, which, which I, I think many of you have not heard before. And that's what you find in the third paragraph on the second page. And this is a quote from uh, Sefer Hashmonaim Bet. We have uh, a book called Sefer Hashmonaim Aleph and Sefer Hashmonaim Bet, which are not the same book and not two parts of the same book, different authors, etc. But they both have a historical, a great historical value in that they describe the events of that time. It's important to know, by the way, that the Jewish people uh, lost these books. 2,000 years ago, and uh, all the commentators, etc., all the standard works that you can look up today were not aware of these texts. They only became known again in the Jewish world over the last uh, century or so. If you want to know, they were actually preserved for us by the Christian church. The Christian church had these books in Greek, uh, which they preserved in their libraries, in monasteries, etc. And it was translated from the Greek. Today, you can read it in Hebrew or in English, translated from the Greek. The Greek of Sefer Hashmonim Aleph, by the way, is itself apparently a translation of the original Hebrew, but we haven't got the original Hebrew. But at any rate, what we do find there in Sefer Hashmonim Beth is as follows. It says, this is a quote from a letter written by Yudha Maccabi, and the, the Supreme Jewish Council established in Yerushalayim, another word for the Sanhedrin, after the victory, he writes a letter to the Jews in Alexandria. You have to understand that Alexandria was a major Jewish center in the, in the ancient world. There were many, many Jews in Alexandria and in Egypt. And they heard about this uh, victory and these events and this new festival called Hanukkah. They wanted to know what it's all about. They didn't know. They were removed from the events. They weren't here. They weren't part of what had happened. And they wanted to know, so they wrote them a letter and explained to them what had happened. And what we find there, it says as follows, uh, And they celebrate, this is a description of what happened when they entered the Mikdash. This is how Yudha Maccabi describes the events. They celebrated for eight days as, as if it were Sukkoth. What's the connection between... Uh, um, between uh, Hanukkah and Sukkot. Bezokram et ra'otham lifne zeman ma bahaga Sukkot beharim uve ma'arot kehayot hasadeh. What is written here is, is really uh, fascinating and very illuminating. For a number of years, as we said, the revolt was in progress. The, the Jews who were involved in, in, in resisting the the Greco-Syrians were not able to live in their homes as usual, were not able to live in their villages and celebrate, shall we say, the, the, the festival of Sukkoth. This was not possible. Had they remained in their villages and towns, the, the, the enemy would have known where to find them. They would have come at night and surrounded the town and uh, with a huge number of soldiers, with a force that could not be resisted, and they would have slaughtered everyone. So where were the Jews? The Jews had to leave their homes and leave their villages for a number of years. They lived on the field, in the fields, they lived in caves, lived in the mountains, they were on the run. They were living as fugitives. They had little to eat. The situation was very, very dire, and the conditions in which they lived were very harsh. And as a result, they were not able to celebrate the festivals in the normal fashion. And therefore, the festival of Sukkoth, immediately before the victory in the month of Kislev, of Hanukkah, they were not able to celebrate. They weren't able to build Sukkoth. They weren't able to take Lulav and Etrog, etc., Abat Haminim, and do what one does on, on Sukkoth. And this, of course, although they were Anusim, they had no choice in the matter, this, of course, bothered them very much. 
So when they were able to enter Yerushalayim and the Mikdash at the end of Kislev, which is a couple of months after Sukkot, the memory of the Sukkot they had just missed was still fresh in their minds. And therefore, it says in Sefer Hashmonaim Beth that they celebrated uh, in the following manner. It says in Sefer Hashmonaim Beth, something very surprising, they took Lulavim and Eturagim, Abath HaMinim, and they, when they had re- rebuilt the, the, the Mizbeach in the Mikdash, and they uh, went, they did Hakafot around the, the Mizbeach with Arbath HaMinim, when? On, on Hanukkah. It's not, not the time of year to do this, but that's what they did because they well, felt they, they had to do something. Sorry? That's right. And this is apparently one of the reasons because it was also symbolic of, of those events because they felt they had to make up for the Sukkot they had to celebrate it. So they instituted Hanukkah also for eight days because eight days is the, is the number of days of, of Sukkot. You have seven days in Shemini Atzeret together, that's eight days. So Hanukkah was made as a kind of tashlumim, as a kind of substitute uh, in place of Sukkoth. And that is the simple and, and historical reason attested to by none other than Yudah Maccabi himself as to why Hanukkah is for eight days and not for seven days, as, as, as every other dedication of the Mikdash so would, would have been. Early in the year, they were made up, made up, made up Pesach instead of Sukkoth. Perhaps, but I think not, because... Sukkot is, is, is known as Zman Simhathen, or Sukkot is the celebration of the year, more than any other time. And uh, it involves more uh, types of miswoth and things that we do on Sukkot, such as the Abath Aminim and Sukkah, which you don't have on, on, on Pesach. For example, even when you're living in a, in a cave and you're on the run and you're a guerrilla warrior, you still have to eat. So you still have to get some flour and water and make some pita and a bit of olive oil to survive, correct? That they could do on Pesach also. What do they want Pesach? They have to have matzah. You can, if you can make pita, you can make matzah. So you can survive. But Sukkot, you can't celebrate in, the, in those conditions. I had always thought because they had to get the place painted, the contractor didn't come on time. So it took eight days. <laughs> now, this, this last piece of information, which is written by Yudah Maccabi himself and, the other, and, and his colleagues in Yerushalayim to the Jews in Alexandria as to why Hanukkah was instituted and why it's eight days, because it is like, it's, it's in place of Sukkot. This explains something else to us, which has baffled the Mepharshim for many centuries. All the Mepharshim asked the following question regarding the Gemara, which appears, which is the next paragraph on page two. This is a quote from the Gemara. It says as follows. According to Beth Shammai, on the first day of Hanukkah, how many candles do we light? Eight candles. On the second day, seven candles. And so on, until the last day we light one candle. On the other hand, Beth Yedel says, no. On the first day we light one, on the second day two, and so forth. And then it goes on to relate in the Gemara and in the Gilaf Ta'anit, that there were two Chachamim in Sidon. One used to light candles according to the practice of Beth Shammai, and one according to the practice of Beth Hillel. The one who acted in accordance with the view of Beth Hillel explained his position that we do so because Ma'alim Bakodesh and Moridim. We always go up. We always do the next day, the day today, we do more than the day before. So we start with one, the next day we move up to two, move up to three. We don't go down, we go up in all things, and here as well. The Chacham in Sidon modern-day Lebanon, but of course part of Eretz Yisrael. The, the, the other Chacham in Sidon who acted in the, according to the view of Beth Shammai 
he explained his his position, and this is what it says here in the Gemara. Ze'omer I light candles on Hanukkah according to the practice or the miswa of the Torah regarding Musaf, Korban Musaf on Sukkoth. In other words, if you look in Sefer Bamidbar Perikafteth, there you have the description of the Korbanoth Musaf that we bring on the seven days of Sukkoth. The first day of Sukkoth, the Korban Musaf, or one, one um, part of the Korban Musaf, consists of 13 parim, bullocks. The second day, 12. The third day, 11, and so on. Till the seventh day, 7. Altogether, if you add it up, 13, 12, 11, it's actually all come up with 70, as we know. So here we have an instance where the Torah tells us to do something in descending order, to start with a high number and go down. And Beth Shammai says, just as we see Pareya Hag, these bullocks that we offer in the Migdash for, as a Korban Musaf on Sukkot, we start with a high number and we, and we decrease each day. In the same way, we should light Hanukkah candles. Well, that's a very interesting fact. The Torah does tell us to do act in that fashion and to do so on Sukkot. But uh, what on earth, how on earth can one explain the connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot? What, what, well, how does one come to be compared to the other? Many Mephashim have asked this question, this question and uh, every answer that has been offered is more convoluted and less convincing than the, than the next. But the simple answer is what now, based on what we just saw, is very simple. Because there was a, a connection in the mind of the people, the people who lived at that time, who knew that there was a connection, at least a subjective connection, between Sukkoth and, and Hanukkah, it was not irrational for Beth Shemai to say, seeing that we have this connection in the background between Hanukkah and Sukkoth, therefore we, can also, we should also light in the same manner, also reminiscent of Sukkoth. So we should light the first day eight and the second day seven, etc. So, to sum up, there are two kinds of Hanukkah, or two ways of understanding and perceiving Hanukkah. Hanukkah can be understood based on what I refer to as Galuthmo Judaism, GMJ, uh, in, in which case it's all about a quantity of oil and, and eating sufganiyot. Because, and why Sufkaniyot? Because it has oil in it, etc. We, we all know these drashot, these explanations. Or you can understand and perceive and appreciate Hanukkah as it is, as it was, uh, before the trauma of the Galuth and the, and the uh, failed revolts of the Jews against the Romans uh, took, took, uh, and it had an effect on the Jewish people. And we can see Hanukkah for what it is, as the Rambam writes. And this is a great nest in itself. This is a great miracle. One of the greatest miracles of Hanukkah, I think, is that the Rambam, who lived in the Galuth 850 years ago, was nevertheless able to perceive the true nature of Hanukkah and describe it for us, in, as we read in, in Yichoth Hanukkah. This is a true Eretz Yisrael, non-Galuth version of Hanukkah. And that is the version of Hanukkah that we should internalize and teach to our children and pass on to our friends. Thank you, Rabbi Bar Chaim. We would like to encourage our listeners to share these podcasts with friends and send in your responses. We would also like to suggest the following opportunity to our listeners. If you identify with Rabbi Bar Chaim's message and would like to sponsor or dedicate a podcast in honor or memory of a loved one, if you would like to obtain Birkon, Nusach Eretz Israel, or invite the rabbi for a speaking engagement, please email us at office at machonshilo.org.